0: you are listening to Mining Stock Education, where you'll learn from the top leaders in the natural resource sector and uncover quality mining investment opportunities.
1: But I also think that we've seen, I think the bulk of the washout in the precious metals sector has already happened. And you can sort of see it if you look at
0: charts. Thanks for tuning in to Mining Stock Education. I'm your host, Bill Powers. And in this episode, we're going to hear from Dave Kranzler of InvestmentResearchDynamics.com. Don't forget, he's the editor of the Mining Stock Journal and the co-producer of the Mining Stock Daily Podcast. Dave, welcome back onto the program.
1: Bill, thanks for having me on again. Always love doing your
0: show. And we always love having you, and I know a large segment of my audience always appreciates the mining stock picks that you uh, so generously share on my show, but we'll get to that at the end of this conversation. Let's start off with getting your kind of macro view as it relates to gold and the economy. Energy prices are soaring. Us gold investors, sentiment is in the toilet. What's your analysis of what's going on and what key indicators are you looking at? Sure.
1: So... I've, there's been a, a, a high degree of agitation and negative sentiment, probably probably because this latest down leg that we've had in the sector is really it started probably at the end of March, early April, and they they really started taking the price of gold down in the in the paper gold market. Right? I mean, we have to differentiate between the physical gold market and the paper gold market. The physical gold market is largely based in Asia. And it's, it's concentrated around countries like China and Russia and India. And when they buy gold, they're buying physical gold that has to be delivered into the country. So it has to leave London vaults and either go directly to those countries or leave London vaults and go to Swiss refineries, get refined down into kilo bars that the Indians and the Chinese prefer, and, and then ship to those countries. So, And that's, that's the physical gold market. Then you shift to the West which is no longer the COMEX was never a physical metal exchange. It's always been a paper derivative exchange. Um, and the LBMA, I mean, there is a physical aspect to it, but, you know, as, as you've read extensively, especially in the last year, and as your audience has read extensively, I mean, it's, it's largely what's known as an unallocated cold market. Right. I mean, let's just say for instance, um, uh, an Eastern European central bank buys gold and they decide to leave it in London vaults the bars in the London vaults right so there's an accounting entry that's made that says okay you know this is Uzbekistan's gold right but those bars get <laughs> hypothecated and and you know you could have another central bank Brazil that that buys gold they they bought gold bars recently and I still haven't had the question answered for me satisfactorily as to whether they had those bars repatriated or if they left them in London vaults. But they could, for accounting purposes, they could be allocated the same bars that were allocated to Uzbekistan, and no one would know the difference, right? So so that's that's kind of that's that's a real simplistic version of how the unallocated gold system works. Well, if you go back, you know, and I mean you can go back longer than April, but especially since April. If you look at 24-hour charts of gold and silver and i do that every day almost all day long and you'll notice that what happens is it's a common pattern i'd say 80 to 90 percent of the time where the price of gold will rise late in the evening in u.s time you know in our in our time zone it'll rise up until about midnight or one o'clock or or 2 a.m and i'm i'm looking at i'm using mountain standard time and and well no eastern standard time um so uh because that's what my like the gold chart i use the future chart i use is eastern standard time and then all of a sudden it'll maybe you know top out and then all of a sudden it gets hit well what happens at 2 a.m east coast time basically india and china shut down for the day right because it's evening over there now or late afternoon so their markets close um and what happens is 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 um Essentially, the paper gold market takes over, and all of a sudden, you know, there's plenty of COMEX contracts that are offered for sale in the Globex system. Uh, you know, there's plenty of LBMA forwards that are offered for sale over in London, and that's and that's kind of how it works. Um, and the same thing happens if you go and look at at say eight eight twenty to eight thirty um, every morning, and that's when the COMEX floor hours open again. You'll see another leg down in the price of gold 80%, 80 percent 80 90 percent of the time that's the paper market driving down the price of gold and so um what i think a big part of of this latest takedown in the price of gold you know and and and, and, and just one overt example of this was august 8th when you know like you're probably like me i was actually on the tennis court at the time but you know around around four thirty denver time or you know, six thirty your time. You log in and you see what's you know because the futures are open, right? So you want to see what gold and silver are doing, see what the dollars doing. And that particular night, uh, that afternoon, uh, the price of gold like went straight off a cliff, almost a hundred dollars. Do you remember that? Yeah, definitely. And it Bottomed at sixteen eighty, and and then it bounced. But there's not that was not physical gold changing hands. That was all in the paper market. There's no physical gold that trades anywhere at. At, at six thirty p m new york time and and so that was that was a paper price hit and if you're if you're a hedge fund and you're long a big chunk of of gold contracts and and, and you decide you want to move out of them for whatever reason you're not going to dump them all at, at six thirty p m New York time on Sunday night that's the least liquid period of the market so that was that was an an entity and I think we all know who who that is who was motivated to bang down the price of gold from you know and I think the motive for that is to defuse the signal that gold sends on both inflation and financial systemic risk. What I'm referring here to is um, and I, I wrote about this extensively in um, the intro to, to this week's mining stock journal that went out yesterday afternoon to my subscribers, so this is kind of a sneak peek of, of the analysis that I had in there -- is I would argue that there's a massive financial system crisis building and um, Evergrande is a small part of the cause, but it may have been the black swan trigger, right? I mean, you can't really point to a specific black swan trigger in 2008. We knew Bear Stearns was going to, everyone knew Bear Stearns was going to blow up except Jim Cramer. I mean, I shorted Bear Stearns or I bought puts on Bear Stearns when the stock was, was at 60. And by the end of that week, the stock was at two bucks. It was obvious. It was obvious Lehman was going to blow up, right? And Lehman blew up, and then, and then you had the Goldman Sachs AIG debacle, where, where AIG defaulted on who knows how much notional value of credit default swaps, but they, they, they couldn't honor the credit default swaps were triggered, and and GM was staring into the I mean Goldman Sachs was staring into the abyss, and and the Fed had to create a specific facility just to monetize AIG's liabilities. So, and so, um, you know, Evergrande Evergrande may have just been the black swan trigger. I mean, there's there's been, you know, we've seen tremors, Archegos, um, Greensill blew up, Archegos blew up. There's probably been some blowups that have been monetized quietly that we're not aware of. Um, And so I would, I believe the move in the dollar, because the dollar has gone up quite a bit since early August. And that's really when the Evergrande tremors really started rumbling. Um, I would say the move in the dollar is this is a flight to safety because it's even though the dollar is what it is and it's 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 being de-emphasized, especially by Eastern Hemisphere trading companies. It's it's still used at the most liquid, still the most liquid market in the world, the U.S. dollar market, and it's still used as a flight to safety by those who can kind of sense what's going on, or maybe they have. know front row seat and can see things going on behind the scenes in the financial system that that most of the market can't and and so i would argue that and we've seen this we've had we've had corrections like this in the gold market several times over the last 20 years 2006 there was a there was an ugly correction in the market um obviously 2008 from march 2008 to the end of october 2008 gold was was dismantled and, and silver was taken from i think it hit a high of Twenty or twenty-one, and it was taken all the way down to seven. If you recall, um, and it was it was done because the, the the central banks didn't want gold and silver to go parabolic with all these things like Bear Stearns and Lehman happening and, and, and caused a panic. Um, and and then the money and then boom, money printing and um, and, and gold and silver, you know, shot back up. We saw the same thing in February, March, 2020. Gold and silver were annihilated. I mean, silver was, gold was taken down almost to 1200. And I forget how low silver got, but, um, and it was, it
0: was. It was like 1164, I think, Dave. (laughs) I think it was 1164, if I recall correctly. I think you're right. I think you're right.
1: And, you know, it was during, that was during the heat of a crisis when you'd say, oh, shouldn't gold and silver be flight to safety vehicles? Well, you know, boom, all of a sudden, the Fed drops $3 trillion into the monetary system in gold and silver off to the races. So I guess my point here is is there's been a pattern over the last 20 years when we've had these these massive uh, corrections in gold and silver. It's usually preceded some type of crisis that requires the central banks to monetize the crap out of the financial system. And I think we're going to see that again. Um, I know you mentioned that Kiyosaki said October is when the fireworks start. Well. I learned a long time ago, not to put timeframes on when this stuff blows up, but um, yeah, I would say maybe sometime in the next six to nine months, you know, we, we, we may see the reason why gold and silver have been abused like this in the paper market. And I think gold and silver will be a lot higher by then.
0: Dave remind us of the, the, the domino effect back in 2008 from Bear Stearns to when it really impacted main street. What was that time frame?
1: That was, uh, well, Bear Stearns, we kind of knew in, in March that year, I believe, that it was on the ropes. And, and, and that's, that's when gold, I remember, because I was in a ski condominium up in Crested Butte and I was trading gold futures in the morning. And I, I, think, I think I remember gold hit like 1,200 or something, might have, maybe even higher. I, I don't remember the exact price. And then all of a sudden, it started heading south. I was like, "What the heck?" And and it, you know, you would think that with with Bear Stearns becoming more evident, you would have thought you know, gold and silver should be going up. No, well, they were going down, and 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 that's kind of so. You had Bear Stearns, and then Lehman, a good friend of mine, a longtime friend of mine, worked at Lehman back then, and they knew, employees knew in March and April back then that Lehman was gonna was on the ropes and was eventually gonna blow up. And I think the market kind of sensed it. And then um, so you basically went through the summer and then Lehman blows up. And, and then the brown stuff hits the fan. And, and Goldman Sachs would not be in business today, I believe, if it wasn't set up for, for um, Henry Paulson to be Treasury Secretary. And there's documents like he was on the phone several times a day all day long with, with the then CEO of, of Goldman Sachs, I think it was Blank fine. And um, recall Paulson was the former CEO of Goldman Sachs and he was given the treasury post after he stepped down. Um, and and ironically, he still had $250 million worth of, of warrants on Goldman Sachs stock. So for him, you know, he's gonna do what he can to keep Goldman liquid. So that, that was kind of the sequence of events. Gold's taken down from 1200 down to 700. And then, and then all of a sudden Bernanke starts saying we're going to start doing creative things with, with monetary policy and boom, gold and silver take up, to take off. The Huey Index back then, um, intraday it bottomed at 145 and it, I think the low close was 150 or 152. And, and in early October it, or early November, it was, that was when it bottomed. And by the end of the year, it had doubled, went from 150 to 300. And I think that type of scenario could possibly play out again.
0: We'll be right back after this word from our sponsor. Silver One Resources is an exploration and development company backed by strategic investors Eric Sprott and SSR Mining. At Silver One's Candelaria Mine Project in Nevada, there is already a historic resource estimated at 127 million ounces of silver, which Silver One is developing and advancing. The company's Phoenix Silver Project, located within the Arizona Silver Belt, is an early-stage exploration project on which native silver vein fragments have been discovered near surface one grab sample assayed an astounding 14,688 ounces per ton yes that's right ounces not grams silver one has tremendous exploration potential is extremely leveraged to the price of silver and is cashed up and poised to increase shareholder value silver one trades in New York under the ticker S L V R F and in Toronto under the ticker S V E to learn more go to silverone.com that's silverone.com So gold could track down if there is this crash, you could even see gold tracking down again. Because I think in the past, you've told me over the years that, you you don't know for sure, but it could be that gold goes up, right? (laughs) If everything falls apart. Look what
1: happened on Monday. Monday, was it? No, last Monday, a week ago Monday. Stock market was getting annihilated and gold was right, gold went up. And the mining stocks were green a week ago Monday, you know, for part of the day. I mean, they ended up closing down a little bit, but they way outperformed the stock market. Um, if we if we get you know, uh, we get a market, you know, and I think we will. I think we will see a, a market crash like we saw in February, March, twenty twenty. If we get that kind of market again, I mean, it could take everything with it for a while because you got you're going to have hedge funds that are that are dumping like crazy. But I also think that we've seen, I think the bulk of the washout in the precious metal sector has already happened. And you can sort of see it if you look at charts. I mean, that 1680 bottom or 1685 bottom on, on August 8th, if you go back and you look at it, at a, and I did this yesterday, if you look at an intraday chart and take it back to the beginning of the summer, I mean, you can, or actually back to um, maybe even a little further than that, I forget how far back I took it, but you can see there's been that 1680 levels been tested several times over the last several months on a very short basis. Um, and then, but there, you know, the price of gold is still in a really, it's in a nice uptrend. Um, and, uh, you know, I think there's a chance that it what it, we hit like 1720 or 1722. Um, it was either last week or early this week. And that, that's a, that if you, you know, if you like to look at charts, it looks like it's a support level and we bounced off of that and we're much higher now. So, um, you know, does that mean it's gold and silver aren't going to go lower? Well, no. I mean, they easily could if the market takes a big dump. But I also think that, I mean, I'm saving cash for that event. I don't, I'm, not, I'm not all in in the market right now because I'm, I'm worried about something like that
0: happening. Dave, what about so, energy prices? I've already prepped my wife said, you know, get ready for some high natural gas uh, bills here with the Michigan winter coming. What's your analysis of oil and natural gas heading to the moon?
1: I, I mean, I, I think if, if they try to use the cover story that it's supply chain disruptions, that's a bunch of BS. I think, it, I think it's um, more directly related to um, the currency devaluation that's gone on around the world especially since March 2020, and the Fed being the worst offender. And you've had just a massive amount of dollars, euros, won that have been printed, right, to, to, to keep the various financial systems from blowing up. And, and that creates currency devaluation. And, and oil, even though it's, it doesn't trade, not all oil trades in dollars anymore. In fact, a large portion of oil does not trade in dollars. It settles in rubles and yuan and um, various other other currencies but it's still it's still a dollar it's still called the petrodollar and still you know the bulk of oil transactions are settled in dollars and so if you're an oil producer and you see the dollar being devalued like that aren't you going to want a higher price for your product right because at $60 a barrel that dollar is not that it, you know, If oil is at $60 a barrel now, which I, it's higher, I know that, but if you're sitting there at $60 a barrel um, a year after March 2020, you're saying to yourself, wait a minute, there's a lot more dollars washing around the world. So the $60 I'm getting for this barrel of oil is not the same as the $60 I was getting for that barrel of oil in January 2020, right, before the Fed dumped $3 trillion into the system and, and more since then. It basically doubled the balance sheet, more than doubled. So um, I would argue that as with every, all the higher prices that we're seeing, I mean, sure, there's some supply chain considerations. And I actually think a lot of that's seated in price inflation. Um, the higher prices we're seeing for everything is a function of currency devaluation. More dollars, more euros, more won chasing, you know, the same amount of goods that are being produced basically. Right? So so um, and that's what drives the price up.
0: Even though the dollar index is up. Someone one one someone might object and say well the dollar's at 94. So uh, well, if you look at a
1: chart of the dollar, you know, being at 94 is really really not that consequential. It's pretty insignificant. I mean, I you know, I can pull one up here. You know, if you take the dollar chart and go back 25 30 years, 94 is like at the very is at the low end. Um, so, you know, I, I think I think there's a chance that um, energy prices are going to continue to move higher. They may go parabolic at some point. I mean, we saw the announcement that China had yesterday, right? They're telling their their energy companies to buy as much energy as they can and don't worry about the price. Pay what you have to to buy as much as you can.
0: If, if they go parabolic like the late 70s, gold and silver goes with it then?
1: I think if, um, you know, if you look at the dollar index just over, so this chart takes me back to 1998. I mean, the dollar index, you know, averaged, you know, well above 100 over the last, what's that, 20, 23 years. If you take the dollar, if you take this chart back even further, averaged well above 94. 94 is still relatively at the low end. And again, it, it's the, the lower level of the dollar relative to the last 30, 40 years is a function of all the money that's been printed, all of the dollars that have been printed. So I, I think if, um, if energy prices continue to do what they're doing, you know, and, and at some point they may go parabolic, there's some analysts who are saying that, you're going to see gold and silver go parabolic times two or three. Because, because if energy is 50% of the cost of mining. And if, if if the price of energy goes up like that, these mines will just shut down. They'll, they'll just shutter production because they're not going to sell the gold and silver they produce at a loss. And that'll take away the supply of physical gold that <clears throat> that I think and, and I think that would disrupt, I think that would smash the the, the paper gold market. Paper derivative, unallocated gold market. If that happens, because India and China and Russia, et cetera, they're still going to buy physical gold. Whether you, you know, whether it's it's going to cost them eighteen hundred bucks an ounce or twenty eight hundred bucks an ounce, they're going to buy gold. That's what they do. It's in their DNA. So, um, uh, the other thing that's interesting is I had uh, lunch with a, a junior. Um, mining company CEO about a month ago, and this guy's super bright. He's a geologist. He also has a degree in in mine engine in, in mine economics from School of Mines, and um, he, he said that if you if you look at the price of gold over a very long period of time, the price of gold has a it stays at a pretty constant rate above the all-in cost of mining, right? So, so if the price of gold goes below the all-in cost of mining, you're because of energy. You're either going to have to see the price of gold rise, get back above the cost of all-in cost of mining, including the cost of energy, or they'll just they'll they'll shutter production until the price does rise like that. So, um, I mean, that's to me that's one of the most major bullish factors driving the price of gold is, is price inflation. And, and the effort that we've seen to per, to to push down the price of gold is an effort to try and kind of. Unplug the message, the alarm that gold would send. When when there's rising, you know, quickly rising inflation and also um, escalating financial system problems the price of, you know, technically, I think the sector's washed out. And there's, a, there's an indicator called the Holbert Gold uh, Stock Newsletter, or Hol- Holbert Gold Sentiment Newsletter Sentiment uh, Index, HGNSI. And um, when that thing goes negative, it means that sentiment in the sector is really bad. And, and when it goes really negative, it means the sector is getting ready to wash out. So um, a couple days ago that index, that sentiment index hit like minus 54 or something. And it was, it was a lower reading on that. It was the lowest, it was a lower reading on that index than 99.4% of all readings going back to the year 2000. And historically- when Except it's late, late low,
0: 2015, early 2016. How does it compare to late 2015?
1: I think it actually it, it actually hit um the negative 50s probably in 2013, 2012. If you remember, we had um there was one one day, I think it was 2013, where um gold was down 200 dollars in a day. I don't know if you remember that. Um in fact the, the guy I had lunch with a month ago, he was over at a conference in Zurich and he said the big talk was was that. You know, they all knew that it was a paper market price ambush and that uh, uh, Goldman Sachs and JP Morgan had massive put positions on gold futures. So um, that, that's just another example of, of how manipulated this market can be. Um, but there's times when they can't manipulate it. And, and otherwise, the price of gold would still be at 250 where it was when I started back in, in early 2001, right?
0: And silver so, was at five bucks, I believe you told me, right? You loaded up at five bucks. No, I, I
1: remember seeing silver trade with a high three handle on it a <laughs> couple
0: times. Well, <laughs> you can't even get premiums at $3 sometimes nowadays. Oh, I know it. I know it.
1: So anyway, this, this, the, um, HGNSI sentiment indicators completely washed out. Um, it means we're going to have a rally here at some point. I mean, it may have started, uh, it, and it doesn't, that doesn't mean that the rallies, you know, it's, it's the start of the big move. Um, it could be, it might not be. I mean, what's been happening, you know, over the last few years, really since 20, the end of 2015, is that when the sector starts to get some upward momentum, all of a sudden huge speculators pile in and it's it's short-term money. And 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 it drives the sector up really quickly. And then the sentiment indicators get overblown and the technicals get overbought. And and it it's to me, that's not. A high quality rally, a high quality move. That I think, I, I think, I think we will see a high quality move, and by that I mean, you know, an extended period of time—eighteen to twenty-four months of rising prices, like we saw from two thousand eight to um, late two thousand eleven. Right. So that was that was for gold. It was silver. It was a little bit shorter, but for gold, it was a, a three-year rally, three-year move in the sector, um, and fortunes were made during that period. And I think we will get um, another move like that. And part of it will be predicated on whether people are, have been scared off enough to stay away from the sector, you know, for long enough and not pile in when it starts to to move higher again.
0: And when they do get excited about gold, they look to the mining stocks. So maybe give us a couple leads uh, on some what you've been looking at, if you don't mind.
1: Ah, they look, the, the real speculators look to the junior mining stock.
0: <laughs> like you and me. We we don't buy those big, well-capitalized majors. We we go for the 5 to $30 million market caps, right? A,
1: a, a colleague of mine asked me, you know, the other day, what do you make of the, the Agnico-Kirkland uh, Lake merger? And I was like, uh, I mean, I, I read the MarketWatch news release. I haven't really studied it. It's like, I don't know. It's, you know... Builds the third largest miner in the world. Uh, you know, I can't even tell you what Agnico's cost structure is. I don't care because you know, if Agnico goes up fifty percent, it means the stocks that I look at and invest in are going to go up five hundred percent. Right? <laughs> I want to waste my time with Agnico. Um, now that said, um, I, I do one strategy. I do is, is when we get really washed out, like we are right now, I'll pick. A few um, large cap producers, and I'll I'll buy deep in the money, long dated calls, and I, I look for calls that are when I say long dated I mean two or three months out because I don't want to pay too much time premium. What I'm trying to do is is replicate buying the stock with with in the money calls, so that you know if you've got I don't know where's where's Agnico right now. Um, 51, right? So if I look at, say, and I'm, I don't know if, if, if December is a month, an option month for Ragnico, because so I haven't looked at this yet. But um, if I look at, you know, say December 40s, right? And the stock's at 50 51.43, I, I want to try and find in the money calls where I'm only paying 20 or 30 cents of time premium. So the cost of the call Is is plus the strike price is only twenty or thirty cents above where the stock's trading. You see what I'm saying? Because if I get a five or six dollar move in Agnico before, or a ten dollar move even, which is highly possible, before that option expires, I'm going to get junior stock like rates of return on the capital that I put into Agnico. Um, And I should have looked at it so I could give you a specific uh, numerical example, but. uh, so that that's that's what I do with the large cap miners, um, and, and Fortuna is is one. I think that's a stock that um, incorrectly got the crap beat out of it when it announced the merger with Rockgold. I don't think the market understands it. I think a lot of silver bugs fled out of Fortuna stock because oh no, they're they're you know they're diluting their silver value with with this gold. Well, if you if you bother taking a look at at the mines that Roxgold has over in, in or the mine, plus the, the projects that it has over in West Africa, some of the highest grade gold mines, you know, in the world right now. So, um, you know, and so if, if you've got a, you got a gold mine that has, you know, producing eight grams a ton gold, I mean, that gives you a lot of leverage on the price of gold. And they just made a construction decision on a second project over there, the Seguela project. And it's probably gonna be up and running by mid 2023. And the grades on that project are just ridiculous. And, and, and so, um, I mean, Fortuna, if you include the eventual production from Seguela, it's not gonna be running up, you know, say it does 130 ounces of gold a year. 130,000 ounces of gold a year, you know, by the start of 2024, Fortuna is going to be producing, you know, between somewhere between 450,000 and 500,000 ounces of gold equivalent. And that includes their silver. So right now they're doing, you know, six and a half, between six and a half and seven and a half ounces, of million ounces of silver a year. And they've got a high grade gold mine in Argentina. They've got They've got, um, you know, one high-grade gold mine in West Africa. Soon they're going to have a second high-grade gold mine. They've also got a project over there that looks like it could be, you know, in and of itself, if it was just a junior developing, it would be a company maker, the Basura Gold Project. It looks like it could be extraordinarily high-grade gold, open pit and and underground. So um, um, there's, there's, Fortuna has, it's also got five, projects in in South America and 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 Mexico. I think it's 3 in South America and and 2 in Mexico. These are greenfield projects. So there's 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 junior upside optionality embedded in Fortuna, plus you've got, you know, a a, a mid-level a mid-tier gold producer. So um Alamos produces you know, somewhere between 470 and 500,000 ounces of gold. It's got a $3 billion market cap. Fortuna's market cap right now is, is 1.2 billion. So the way that I do relative value, Fortuna's really cheap to Alamo right now, Alamos. Um, and so that, that's another stock that um, I, I've bought a, a, a large amount of um, November or December and January four strike call options. And I bought them when the stock was trading around 430, 440, and the stock's now down, back down to four. It went below four the other day, but I held them. So um, that, that's kind of how I talk about taking advantage of the large cap miners in my, in my mining stock journal.
0: Maybe one junior pick could you give us before we go here?
1: Sure, I'll give you two. Okay. You get, you get the bonus. Um, Heliostar. I don't know if you follow Heliostar.
0: Um, no, but you did bring it up to me on a previous uh, show I remember, Helio Star. Yes. They had the a project in Alaska.
1: Stock prices, well, they've got a project in Alaska, a very high grade gold project.
0: And one in Mexico, you said?
1: Well, they've got three separate silver projects down in Mexico. And one of them, Silvercrest Metals approached him about JVing on and, and the CEO told me, he said, no thanks, I have a gut feeling on what's there. And I wanna get 100% of the economics of that for my company. And they released um, assays from from trenching that they did on three known veins that are on the property. The veins actually happened to flow from a historic mine that Silvercrest Metals owns right next to this project. So so Silvercrest probably kind of knows what's there too. And they had like, I mean, it was just ridiculous grades of near surface gold in these assays and they have to drill it to, to prove that gold goes further underground and that these, these veins are for real. Um, but I mean the, the current market cap on Heliostar is I don't know about 20-22 million US. And the CEO told me that he thinks that just based on these assay results that they produce from this property, and, and this is this is this is just gold on the property. There's also going to be silver on the property. Um, he said that he thinks he could probably sell the project outright for between 5 and $10 million. If you're looking at a you know, project here that hasn't even been drilled, that is potentially worth half the market cap of this stock, um, the Unger project in Alaska, I mean, I suppose if they wanted to stop advancing it, they could probably put in a mine right now and start producing gold. It's got a, it's got a historic resource on it. Um, And it's high grade gold. So, and then they've got two other silver projects down in Mexico, and each one of those, in and of themselves, could be company makers. So, um, you know, if you if you think about what kind of mine could be, gold mine could be modeled at the Unger project in Alaska. You know, you're probably looking at something that that you know could probably be built to produce eighty to one hundred thousand ounces a year, and that in this market that gets a two hundred million dollar market cap, especially high-grade gold in a, in, a, in a very friendly jurisdiction. Um, so I, I love HelioStar. I mean, I love it now more at these prices than I did the last time we talked about it, but I mean, the whole sector is way down since we last chatted. Um, second one that I really like is, did you look at the I-80? Um, I did not. Transaction that they did with- Oh,
0: with uh, Equinox Gold and Premier and that whole uh, situation?
1: Well, yeah. I 80 is a spinoff of assets from is you and downing. From, uh,
0: from is Premier. Pardon me? Y- Ewing Downing. Is, is that who's running that company? That's, that's the guy who's running I 80. Yeah. Okay.
1: Well, he, he just did a, he just did a deal with Newmont where he's taking over one of their, um, it's, it's an autoclave and in, in Nevada with, with these Carlin and Cortez trend projects, the the high sulfide underground resource, you've got open pit, and then below you've got um, high high sulfide underground gold resource. That stuff has to be oxidized before it can it can be um, processed and the gold extracted. And there's there's only three facilities in Nevada that do that, and there's a shortage. So there's there's a shortage of of these autoclaves and roasters there, um, and and Eric Sprott owned one of them, and he's Jared Canyon and he sold that to Earth Majestic. That was a brilliant transaction. And um, Nevada Gold Mines owned the other two. Well, they just they just did an asset swap with I eighty Gold, and now I eighty Gold owns this autoclave, and it, it needs to be it needs to be upgraded, but I mean. <laughs> You know, talk about talk about having a cartel on on gold production in Nevada. That's what these autoclaves give you. Because um, I, I chatted with someone about this well over a year ago, and I wrote about it extensively in my mining stock journal. And I think that's part of the reason why Carlin Trend Juniors kind of lag in price versus versus their peers in other jurisdictions. Because everyone knows that, yeah, they're showing projects with, with great grades at open pit. Then the underground stuff can't be processed. You have to wait in line at a processor. I mean, essentially Barrick and Newmont had a monopoly on, and Eric Sprott had a monopoly on the processing capacity for the sulfide that you know, the sulfide ore that comes out of these mines. Um, and so the guy I spoke to about this, he said, Well, no one really talks about it, but it's there. I mean, you know, Bay Street and Wall Street aren't going to talk about it because it makes it harder to sell the stocks in these in these junior companies. Um, but he said he doesn't think the state of Nevada would ever, um, permit another autoclave or roaster because of the environmental concerns. And he said it would cost, it would cost at least a billion to build one. So, um, I think this, this transaction, uh, you know, immediately puts I-80 into a league that there's very few gold miners in Nevada are in. And so, um, I, I actually did a profile on the company who's the issue before this latest one. So if if your audience wants to, you know, they can read about it if they subscribe, because when I, when someone subscribes, I give them, you know, about three months worth of back issues and three months, because that's uh, what I do in each issue is I, the companies that I cover and recommend and invest in. And I also you know, talk about companies that I would avoid. Um, But usually there's been news flow from all the companies that I cover over a three month period. And so you can get a feel for, you know, just looking at the welcome email and the back issues, um, what I look at, how I look at it, and, you know, why I look at these companies.
0: And they can do that at investmentresearchdynamics.com, right? Yes. All right. And Dave also has a blog there. So go check that out. Dave, I really appreciate your macro outlook and gold, and you gave a lot of uh, ideas here for investors to think about. So thank you for coming on the show again today.
1: Yes, we went a little bit longer than we intended.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But uh, everybody will enjoy it. So thank you. Thank you, Bill.